Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. This morning, I just, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just delighted where the Lord has us right now. I know we're about 10 days away from a fall festival. If you haven't heard, uh, you probably, most of y'all probably been signed up to do something in here, whether you know it or not. So I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Jennifer's back there in the back somewhere. She was, I don't know. She, I see Matt back there. There she is. Yeah, she's okay. I see her back there. Um, um, but, but, but I just think it's fitting where the Lord has us and how, how he's been working for some time now for almost three and a half months, and now we're at a place here, and the title of the message today is A Prayer Meeting Encounter. A Prayer Meeting Encounter, Acts chapter 4. And in this passage, I'm kind of coming on the tail end of a really just an amazing little story here and what the Lord's doing in in the early church, and particularly with Peter and John and the the context. And, And I want us to see something here at the end of it. Uh, but the first thing that I need to do, let, let, let's look at the Bible here in chapter 4, verse 23. This begins our passage. The Bible says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And so the first thing that I need to do uh, is kind of retell the story. Now, i got to be honest with you, when I retell this story, that's where I, I kind of got caught up in it personally in my preparation of retelling the story because it's an, it's an amazing story of how the Lord used Peter and John. Actually, it, actually, I'm going to go back to chapter 4, verse 1, but even before that, on chapter 3, verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at, at a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, and, and there was a crippled man from birth who was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, you, we'll, we'll learn later on, this man was almost 40 years old or 40 years old at the time of this healing. And so when he saw Peter and John in verse 3 about to enter, he asked them for money. That's what he did. That's how he basically survived was on uh, people giving alms and giving money to him to support him. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. And a man looked at him because, what? I mean, he thinks he's about to get some money. So he gave him his attention. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Took him up by the right hand, helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising the Lord. You can imagine the scene. The people all saw it, saw him walking and praising God. They recognized, they knew this man. For almost 40 years, he sat there begging at the temple gate, all beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Just an incredible story, an encounter of God healing miraculously this man in this moment. So when I retell the story, I couldn't help but just to get caught up in it. And in chapter 4, we come in, I, I, I just read a moment ago, on their release. So, so, so now we've got to retell a little bit. On their release from what? What the Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, that the priest and the captain of the temple of God and the Sadducees, Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching, and pe- uh, teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them. They seized Peter and John because it was in the evening and they put them in jail until the next day. 
But many who heard the message believed, and now the number grew to about 5,000 men. So in just a handful of days, they, the church has gone from a hundred and something people there that were gathered when the Spirit of God came and fell upon them to now 3,000 when Peter preached that first message to now there's over four, over 5,000 men. Now again, ladies, no offense to you, but they didn't count many children and women back in that day. So, I mean, honestly, at this point, I mean, this is probably some little estimate going on. There is a sea of people that have come to follow Christ. Thousands, somewhere fifteen to 20,000 people in a handful of days have come to know the Lord. But what I want us to see here as I retell the story, first and foremost, is, is the persecution that breaks out upon the, the, the early church. And particularly we see it personified here with Peter and John. Now we see there are a couple folks here, the captain of the guard, the temple guard. Uh, bottom line, the, the, the Romans allowed the Jews to police themselves, particularly in the temple. So they had like a security guard. Kind of like we have some security guard around here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Bill's not here today, by the way. Uh, but uh, but not, not that he's the only one, but others. You know what I'm talking about. They have a little security around here. Uh, that was supposed to be a joke. But anyway, I'm so, thank y'all. Y'all helped me a little bit in here. But they had a full-fledged force. Now, you've got to understand, it wasn't like here. There would have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people gathering, particularly during these festivals. The Festival of Pentecost, the Festival of Weeks, there would have been people, so many people coming on to the temple from outside. They had their own police force, and the Romans let them do that. And so the captain of the temple, the guard, would have been the, the captain of that police force. Uh, uh, from what we understand, they were made up of mostly, basically, Levites. But, they, but, he, but what had happened was the Sadducees basically got the temple guard, the captain, and brought them over. He, in other words, they reached out. Sadducees is a... Um, is one of the religious groups that we see in the New Testament. Uh, most believe they were the smallest in number, but they were very influential. They were, they were a lot of what they might call aristocrats. They were landowners, had lots of money. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why some commentators would say they're sad, you see. Thank you, Michael. Well, it's a rough crowd this morning. Y'all hang with me. I know it gets a little cheesy up in here. But, I mean, that's what they would say. Uh, they, they, I mean, they literally were sad, you see. I mean, I mean, but they were called the Sadducees. That was their own name by, not because of that reason. But they didn't believe in future reward or punishment. They just thought what you have is what you have, and when you die, you die. Uh, and and they, so, so, now, I will say to you, they were very influential. So they were greatly disturbed, the Bible says in verse 2. Why? That these that Peter and John were even teaching anybody at all. Why? Because they were not schooled. They had no credentials. They weren't sanctioned. They hadn't gone to, to, to rabbi training. I mean, it, it would be foolishness, right? Uh, you know, much, much like today, I mean, if you're going to be a teacher down there at the local school, for the most part, you've got to have credentials. You've got to have some kind of background. You know, they just don't let anybody walk up in there, I don't think. But anyway, they, you know, you've got to have some credentialing going on. And they didn't have it. And so they were concerned at all because, I mean, here they are. They have drawn a crowd. They're teaching people. Uh, people are coming to them. People are calling them kind of, uh, uh, people are by their own admission are saying they're teachers and leaders in these religious uh, topics and information. So they're, 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 they're sharing from the Word of God to people. And that bothered them. You know, you can imagine in so many different ways why it would bother them, but it bothered them. And second, and probably even more significant, they were proclaiming that Jesus 
had risen from the dead. I mean, very clearly. I mean, in Jesus, I mean, it says he's proclaiming to Jesus uh, the resurrection of the dead. So this concerned him. It greatly disturbed him. Um, and so what do they do? They, they get the police together and they say these people are kind of like imposters, make up all kind of names about them. They, they shouldn't even be doing this. So he kind of crowds them up and they had the authority to do that. Now it was evening time, so the court was already out of session. Now you can just kind of imagine if I, if I was coming in to get them, I probably would go ahead and do it in the evening time because basically they're going to have to stay a night in jail for doing what they're doing. And that's exactly what happened. So they put them in, they put them in jail and had to keep them overnight in this prison. Now, um, what we see here in chapter 4 is, what is, is the first recorded opposition or persecution of the church. Now, I, I'm just going to remind all of us, I mean, Jesus made it real clear in his earthly ministry in John 15, uh, verses 18 through 20, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you. I've called you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember these words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they, per if they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. And so now, here, here it is just a handful of days later. The Holy Spirit of God comes. They, they're, they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit to preach this wonderful gospel. And the world hates it. And now the world has come at them, and they said, no, it's greatly disturbing us. So what do they do? They use their influence in this moment to, to get the police together, and they throw them in jail. Now I will say to you that persecution comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Now, many would say that in the West, and particularly in the United States, it's not so much the throwing in the prison. In fact, we still have, to my knowledge, free speech. I mean, there, you know, in some sense, it's kind of curtained or, 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 or restricted, I should say. But we can still I'm, still, I'm here today, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to share that Jesus Christ is the only way to, to be saved. And he, yes, died, but three days later rose again. Why? Because the Bible says it. I can say that open. I can say it here. I can stand out there in the road and scream it. Now, people may not like it, but oftentimes I'm not going to get put in jail for it. However, there are places in the world today, this right here is illegal. Not only illegal, but punishable by prison. And if I, the preacher could not just be thrown into prison, but could be killed. Because why? They say if you get rid of the preacher, then the, then the people just disperse. That's the worldly mindset when it comes to persecution. Unfortunately, even in the first century and in the 21st century, far from it. MacArthur says persecution, far from destroying the church, persecution merely serves to purify it and to strengthen it. I will submit to you years ago when I heard about the underground church in China. Vibrant, growing. They all, they're always on the move. Uh, people have to, uh, you can't even meet in the same place twice for fear somebody's going to find out. Government's always trying to send somebody in there to, among them to try to find out, try to become one of them so we can find out where they are so we can get rid of them. All the, I mean, all, but that, that's not the only place. All around the world, there's multiple places where this is real. Happens even so today. Now, I will say to you, from us in the West, I mean, that doesn't seem to happen to us. Uh, many commentators would say the persecution or the, or the lies that Satan hurls at the church today is to just be okay with who you are, where you are, and what you are. To be kind of complacent. 
Um, we are blessed. Uh, we are blessed beyond measure. And when I stand in this sanctuary this morning, we are blessed to be here, to be gathered here. You got them beautiful chairs you're sitting on, nice and cushioned chairs. First time I went to the Philippines, there were benches made out of wood that somebody chopped down in the jungle right next door. And I mean, I mean, people sat there for hours and hours and hours. No air conditioning, no heat. Of course, they didn't need heat. I mean, in the Philippines. We are so blessed today. I mean, I, can, I cannot stand up. Anyway, so, but, but make no mistake. The scripture is clear. Even in 2 Timothy 3.12, says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus today will be persecuted. So quite the opposite. The Sadducees tried to, try to uh, take advantage of this moment, exercise their authority. They tried to put a little pressure. They're going to bring a little persecution. Quite the opposite. The numbers of the church continued to grow. Why? Because when the pressure came on, what came out was Christ in them. And all of a sudden, they're preaching like they never have. And it's not just Peter and John. It's everybody sharing the gospel. 5,000 are now to their number. They're continuing to grow. Now, when I see this... Uh, the Bible says in verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. Caiaphas was there. John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest family. They convened the court. Uh, you know, sometimes I get sucked into this, and I can just imagine the court and people almost kind of sitting. I don't know if you've ever been in a boardroom, and there's kind of a group of people there. Or you've been in the courtroom. I'm looking at Nathan. You've been there in the courtroom. It can be extremely intimidating. And there's this slew of people in front of you that you're now uh, having to give an account to. And that's kind of what was happening here in the court. And they had Peter and John brought before them. And they said, but, I mean, the question is real clear in verse 7, By what power or what name did you do this miracle? Now in this moment, uh, what I love in, in verse 8, the Bible says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Gavin prayed this morning. Uh, in our prayer time, even before the, the service today, I, my prayer is, God, I, there's, a, there's a little song that says, fill me up till I overflow. God, may the Holy Spirit fill us up. I mean, God the Holy Spirit filled him up on this moment. MacArthur says, all Christian ministry witness, and witnessing depends on the filling of the Holy Spirit. In this passage right here, in this, in, when it talks about field, it's a passive voice. The verb is. What does that mean? It shows Peter's willingness to yield to this moment, to the Spirit's control in this, in this moment in his life. In other words, God the Holy Spirit is now going to use Peter and going to speak through him to this group of people. So he submits to that. He's, he's yielding in this moment. That's what he means by being filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't become filled, if you notice, by some lengthy prayer. And I don't know what they did all night. I wish we knew in jail. You know, Paul and Silas were in there at about midnight praising the Lord. Maybe they were praising the Lord. Maybe God the Holy Spirit was already working in them in that moment. But right now, when they're called to give an account, the Holy Spirit begins to take over. In this moment, he yields himself to the Lord. To be filled of the Spirit literally means to what? Walk in obedience to the Word of God Yielding myself to the Holy Spirit, to His control in my life. That's what it means. And the good news is, not just for Peter and John, but for us today, there can be a personal empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Now let me just, let me just remind us that Jesus also said this very clearly, did He not? In Luke chapter 12, 
Let me just let me just remind us this morning. Luke chapter 12. Let me turn back here. When he says in 11, he says, When you are brought, this is what he said again, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Now, what I love about that, because in verse 12, he says, For why? Because he says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So in this moment, I mean, here he is in the Sanhedrin. He's in front of this court. He's having to give an account of what happened in this miracle. And in this moment, filled with the Holy Spirit, now he's coming to fruition. I can just imagine Peter living this in this moment. I, I don't know. I don't know what Peter was experiencing before he, as he was walking into that courtroom. There could have been apprehension. There could have been anxiety. There could have been stress. could have been all kinds of things happening. But in this moment, God the Holy Spirit begins to take over. Fills him up. And then all of a sudden begins to speak through him. And, and I would say to you, proclaims or the proclamation of what Peter declares in this moment. The Sanhedrin demanded to know by what power, by what name the apostles had healed this man. That name represents authority. By what authority are you doing this? Now, now look at his response in verse 8 and following. Rulers and elders of the people. I mean, he is demanding their attention now. If we're being called to an account today for the act of kindness shown to this cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people in Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God rose from the dead, that this man, he's standing there, is healed. Now what I love about this is in this moment, literally Peter flips the script. The Sanhedrin brought him in to hold him accountable. But in this moment, the Holy Spirit speaks through him and holds them accountable. Who's on trial now? It's not Peter, it's them. And in this glorious moment, the Holy Spirit fills him up and says, Look, I want you to understand it's through Jesus alone, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Man, what, what empowerment in this moment. You crucified him. But God raised him from the dead victorious. That's why this man standing right here that you can see is healed today. He's the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Good night. What an incredible moment. The courage. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I just remind us here today. I think sometimes we read this and we think, who is Peter? Peter was a fisherman by trade. In fact, in the same story, he is uneducated and unschooled. And yet they're going to determine what they realized that he had been with Jesus. There was a difference in his life. Friend, please hear me today. God doesn't need some polished professional preacher to win people to Christ. He needs people that have been with Christ. That, been Je that Jesus has changed our life. You've got a story to tell. And people need to hear it. And in this moment, on this day, God, the Holy Spirit, empowers Peter to, Peter to just proclaim. To proclaim what? The gospel. And what I love about this in verse 12, he didn't just lay out the claims before them. He didn't just proclaim that and, 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 and declare before them and hold them accountable. But even in this moment, he extends an invitation in verse 12. One of my favorite verses. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven by which men, by which we must be saved. 
Let me say that again. Salvation is found in no one else, no thing else. There's nothing you'll do, no one else you'll find in Jesus Christ alone. And I love this empowerment. Let me just say, one of the, one of the characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit is your, your assurance that you know Christ. And that He's the only way. There's no other way to be saved. And when you proclaim that, you know what God will do? He'll open up your mouth to tell people the truth that there's only one way to heaven. And he does this in this moment. And, 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 and yes, he indicts them. Yes, he, he is bold. But he wants, his, he wants his brothers to be saved. And, and you almost kind of sense that this is an opportunity, an invitation. I mean, it's interesting in this moment. He was the one that was called in to be put on trial, but now he's putting them on trial. But he's also sharing them the way of salvation in this moment. He loves his brothers. They're just misguided. They're misinformed. They misunderstand. I mean, this is part of his family, his heritage. This is his people. And he's saying, I want you to know. It's kind of like when Paul, in Romans, when you read that, he is so burdened by the Jewish people that he wants them so desperately to be saved. In fact, the word says, I beseech you, brethren. In other words, he is, his, his desire is to inspire them, and he's literally begging, come to Christ. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to share with a family member the claims of the gospel. I can almost guarantee you, if you've ever been in that situation, your heart's desires for them to be saved, right? And I bet you prayed up, and when that moment came, your heart's desire was for them to come to Christ. And you're going to do everything you can to inspire, to encourage, and say, man, here it is, here's the claims of Christ, but I want you to come. And that's what Peter's wanting to do in this moment. So Peter flips this script, and all of a sudden he proclaims all these wonderful things in this moment. But I will say to you also, he what quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 118 22, and he says, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. That's what, in other words, Peter is, is resonating with them and saying, look, here's what the Old Testament, I'm not just saying it. I know you saw us. I know you're with us. I know you see this miracle. But man, the, God's word pointed to Christ's coming. And in this moment, he uses the word of God that resonates with these leaders. They would have known the word of God. And he quotes the scripture under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I hope you come Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night we talked about our testimony. Share the story. People can't refute your story. If it's your story, how you came to faith in Christ. This Wednesday night is going to be the other side of that coin. When someone says, yes, I want to know Christ. How do we lead that person? How do we invite them to know Christ? It's simple. Just use the Roman road to salvation. Walk them through the scripture. Why? Because the word of God is living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. God has already given a witness through the word of God. To lead people to Christ. Now what's interesting in this moment. F.F. Bruce, who's one of the commentators. He, he, he makes this statement about the Sanhedrin. Because you, you don't see it here. In fact, they, they go on. They send, the, they send Peter and John out. And they begin to talk amongst themselves. And, and bottom line is. They can't refute the miracle that took place. I mean, he's, he's, he's standing there. Everybody knew who this man was. I keep looking over there like he's there. In real life, he was standing there. I mean, you say what you want. This man didn't walk for 40 years. He was born that way. He begged every day. And now he's standing up. 
And by the way, God still does miracles today, doesn't he? There's not a one of us in here that was born saved. It just doesn't happen that way. Some of y'all ran wild for a long time. Some of you are real religious for a long time. But at some point, somewhere, Jesus stepped into your world. And now you have a story to share. Nobody can refute that. That's the God's miracle of healing you and saving you. So in this moment, F.F. Bruce makes this statement. This council, this Sanhedrin, they had every opportunity to disprove the apostle Peter's proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, that would have given, they wanted to disprove of him. Why? They, they wanted to shut it down. They wanted to say it doesn't real, it's not existent, but they struggled because they couldn't. In other words, if they could have refuted the resurrection of Christ, they could have shut down this movement in this moment collectively. But there was no way that they could. Which, on the flip side, is again, verification, it's proof, it's validation. What? He did rise from the dead. He is alive forevermore. Now, all this resulted in what? I mean, it says that after they, they, they threatened them more, they kind of told them not to speak in the name of Jesus. What I love this in verse 19, I can't tell you, I get caught up in this story. Verse 19. Let me back up. 18, they called them back in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, called them back in, gave them a tongue lashing. I mean, just got home to them. Said, we're going to put you in jail some more if you keep doing this stuff. Peter, being full of the Holy Spirit, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey God, to obey you rather than God. What I love, verse 20, look at this. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. Full of the Holy Spirit of God. I, I tell you what, I, I, I got to go way back. To, what was it, back to 1989? I know some of y'all weren't here yet at that time. 1989, a prayer movement got birthed over here in Texas. A group of teenagers in the middle of the night during the disciple now went down to the local high school and began to pray, burdened by the Spirit of God, to pray for their administration to pray for their principal, to pray for their teachers, to pray for their peers, to pray for this nation. In 1990, God took that little prayer movement and blew it up across the nation called See You at the Pole. One year, in one year, God took this little bitty handful of group of people and blew it up across the nation. Same thing happened here in the first century. Don't tell me God can't do it still today. But you know what I love about 1990? Because I was, I was, I was a youth pastor at a little bitty old church. Uh, St. Elmo Baptist Church. Y'all probably had not never been there. It's outside of Mobile. Just a little caution light. That's about all you got going to Mississippi. And I remember, I mean, I was just young, young, young in the Lord, young. God opened the door for me to be a youth minister, and I really didn't know a whole lot about it at all. I'll be honest, flying by the seat of my pants pretty much. But I got hold of this, and I said, man, let's do this. Let's do this. Had a handful of teenagers in that group. I mean, we're out in rural Alabama. We had one, Grand Bay High School was the big high school back then. Had a handful of teenagers, man. We talked about it. I said, well, let's go pray at the pole. A few of them teenagers got together and said, let's do it. They got with their buddies said, let's do it. They started making these signs, putting them up. Putting them up around school. We're going to meet at the pole, third Wednesday in September. We're going to do it. Okay, boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden, the administration comes out. Principal lays down the law and says, you ain't doing it here. In fact, he, he called up, made a little special note to the parents, said, look, uh, 
I think he said something to the degree, if, they, if, if they're gathered at this flagpole play, uh, praying on this day, then we're going to have to take disciplinary action. I started getting phone calls from parents. Going, what are we doing? What do you want my child to do down there at that school? Now, I'll be honest, parents were nervous. What about them teenagers? I don't know if you've been around teenagers much. Tell a teenager not to do something, what happens? Woo, you done lit a fire in their hearts. Go ahead, send me home three days. It doesn't matter. I'm all in it to win it. I mean, I had them coming out of the woodworks. I ain't never seen so many teenagers in my life showing up. I honestly, I got a little nervous. I went to my professor down at University of Mobile. I said, hey, man, uh, is this okay? Because we're, we're about, something's about to happen over here in Grand Bay. And he said, look, as long as it's before school, you're not, doing, you're not making people do it. Now, it had to be student-led. And that principle was real clear. I couldn't be on campus. No parents could be over there. So we were at an adjacent property across from the school. And I'm, I remember looking, my goodness. I forget how many. I don't know how many teenagers showed up on that morning. Crying out their heart unto the Lord. Asking God to do what only God can do in that school. And I will tell you, kids got saved. Lives were changed. Why? Because God filled his people with his spirit to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing's changed, church. It's not about can he. The question is will he. Are there any teenagers in the house this morning willing to let God fill them with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news to their friends? Are there any adults in here today that are willing to say, God, fill me so full with your Holy Spirit that I can't help it? I can't help but to tell somebody about Christ. Uh, you can tell why I got caught up in this. I mean, I just love it. Love the story. So the people began to praise the Lord. Now, here we go. <laughs> Verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that I just shared with you. What I love in this was their response. Verse 24 through 28 tells us their response. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. What I love about this is when the people of God began to hear it, we don't know who all they went back to. I mean, good night, there's 20-something thousand people now professing Christ, following Jesus. Obviously, they weren't all gathered in this moment, but there was a gathering of God's people. They went back to him to give a report. What I love is how God's people just erupted into just praying. And not, and not just any kind of prayer, but they begin to praise the Lord. And, and, and they start off this by saying, Sovereign Lord. This is what we see in the Scripture. And, and that word, literally, uh, when, when it refers to Lord in this, in this, in this prayer, and, and it's translated in NIV, Sovereign Lord, they began to raise their voice in prayer, but they began to really focus on the sovereignty of God. That word Lord literally is uncommon. It's only used five other times in the New Testament to address God as Lord. And it really, it really denotes this, absolute master. In fact, you see in the context, he talks about the Holy Servant Jesus, and he talks about our servant, your servants. 
The whole context of this prayer in response to what has happened and all this persecution is to acknowledge you are my absolute master. You are sovereign over all. Let me remind us, faced with persecution, the church took comfort in knowing God is sovereign over all. That he knew exactly where they were. And and look, none of this took the Lord by surprise. None of this did. The persecution, the flock, telling them to quit speaking and teaching in Jesus' name, going to jail because you're preaching. None of this took them by surprise, the Lord by surprise. So their reaction, their response was to praise him for he is sovereign. He is Lord over all. Everything, everything, everything that happens in my life, God is watching over me. He has ordained this moment. He's ordained this time. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives, even so right now. He is in control. I know sometimes in this world we think, good night, where's the Lord? Things seem to be so chaotic. Friend, listen to me. God is in control. He's on His throne. And yes, He's coming again. He's coming again one day. The early church had confidence in His absolute rulership. And the might and power of God was enough to sustain them in this moment. And this was not the end. As you know, you read the book of Acts. And friend, it's still going on today. Persecution happens. When a church wants to preach the gospel, there will be persecution that will come forth. still happens today. When you want to live and share the gospel, if you want to reach into the enemy's camp and try to save souls that are on the brink of hell, persecution will come. In this moment, not only are they overwhelmed with God's sovereignty, His grace, and His, His complete control... But they also turn to David's prophecy. In other words, it says in verse 25, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Friend, nothing's changed. They took great comfort, again, from the Word of God. We read the Scripture this morning. Why? Because God's Word is living and active. I'm going to tell you, church, if you're going to be a believer who walks in the confidence of who you are in Christ, you've got to know the Word. And I'm not trying to say, well, you know, I guess I am telling you what you need to do. You know what I'm saying? But we've got to stand firm. I know I am. Stand firm. How do we do that? I mean, Paul prayed it in Ephesians chapter 1. If you've been with me, he prayed specifically that, that they would know this Word. This scripture specifically, God opened the eyes of our hearts so we might know you better. Know the hope of our calling. Know the riches of your glorious inheritance. Know this incredibly great power for us who believe. There's no way to be all that God called us to be if we're not in this word. And God takes this word and applies it to our heart. The last thing is this. Not the last thing, but in this. The battle's real. When we see in this kind the, the, the battle is real. There really is a battle going on today for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And I, and I say this, um, I, I, just, I just stand back amazed at the timing of this message. And, and, and even now right here at Flint Hill, in 10 days, there will be a community of people gathering together here, what's called a fall festival. My hope is it's, it's, the, it's a fall harvest It's real. Now, I don't know every single person that's going to come on this campus, but I can almost assure us that there will be people from this community that have no clue that Jesus Christ is real. So how are they going to know? When they walk on this campus, are they going to hear? Are they going to see? Are they going to sense? Are they going to, are they going to experience that Jesus Christ is real and that He really loves them? 
It may very well be that God may send us people on that Wednesday night that have never professed Christ. And maybe that Wednesday night will be the night that God will allow us to lead people, lead people to, to a Savior that is real. Just like Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach this wonderful good news in front of all these people, maybe God would give us the opportunity in that moment on that night to preach, to share the story of Christ. What I love here is, is the request made by the church. In verse 29, and, 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 and we're getting there. Verse 29, I love this. Because there's so many different ways the church could have handled the persecution. They could have closed up and kind of went indoors and kind of said, Oh, no, gosh, oh, Lord, this is horrible. I don't know if we can do this anymore. But look in verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, there it is, absolute master, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So when we look at the request, I mean, they're in the midst of this prayer meeting. They're praising the Lord. They're reminded of the Scripture and David's prophecy. They have great comfort, but their request is, God, empower us. Enable us to speak your word with boldness. Friend, I can, I, I'm going to submit to you, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God boldness. I can almost guarantee you there are people you're working with right now that need to hear about Christ. I can almost guarantee you there are students in your classroom that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be some preacher walking up in there to preach the gospel, but you can preach the gospel. You can share the story of Christ. I can guarantee that. They asked. They said, Lord, I know there's threats out here, but enable us, empower us. Bring it to life in us that we would speak your word with great boldness in this moment. For such a time as this, empower us and enable us. Not only did they want the enablement to speak the word, but they wanted Jesus' name to be exalted. You remember it was the miracle. This man was standing here. They couldn't deny it. And it was the wonders and the miraculous way that God healed this man that the world began to take notice about Jesus. And so what do they do? They asked, they said, Lord, stretch out your hand and heal and perform miracles. Keep doing it. Signs and wonders through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. Don't stop it. Keep it going. Why? Friend, I, I'm telling you, God's still doing miracles today. There are people, I mean, listen, salvation is a miracle. And I know that God heals. And, and, uh, yeah, and you're right, there are times God doesn't heal every single person. I know that. I know that. But even in the midst of this world, I have seen God heal people, raise them up off a deathbed. People have said there's no hope. Doctors given up hope. And God raised him up. I've seen people that, 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 that people said there's no hope for him. There's no way he's ever going to come to know Christ. Ever. He's set in his ways. He's not going to make it. And all of a sudden, one day, God opens up his heart. And all of a sudden, he repents and God changes him and just moves him. Right? Transforms his life. That's a miracle. But the church prays, God, keep doing it. Why? Because we want to see people's lives change. And it's okay if we get persecuted. It doesn't matter. I want the world to know that you're real. God, keep working. So they ask this. I mean, they are, it, it's kind of like an impromptu prayer meeting. But we see the results in verse 31. After they prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The evidence. Mama used to say the proof's in the pudding. Not real sure what all that means. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. When God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, 
They speak the word of God with boldness. They're concerned about their people around them. They look for opportunities. And let me say, when you're looking and praying and prepared, God will present opportunities to share the gospel. The proof is there. The Holy Spirit confirms their prayer, their prayer and all of a sudden begins to fill that place, fill them up, and just empowers them to go forth in His name. Friend, I, I really believe right now that God is inviting us to pray that same prayer. To ask Him to do what only He can do. I can't make you. I can't make me, in one sense. I can be prepared. I can humble myself before God. I can ask God, God, empower me and help me to see the opportunities you give me today. God, help me to be willing. But here's what I want to ask you right now, church. Because I, I really sense this in my heart. Over these last few weeks, I believe God is nudging on the hearts of some of us that are here today. Kind of knocking on the door and saying, you know what, I, I, I want to share. I want to I proclaim the good news, the gospel. You may even have a friend or a co-worker or somebody that's put on your heart or a fellow student, whoever it is, and you know they need Christ and you're praying for them and you're asking God to give you an opportunity to lead them to Christ, to share the gospel. So here's what I want us to do. Let's bow our heads right here just for a moment. Nobody looking around. Just kind of make a little world about where you are sitting right now. Just kind of circle yourself up. But friend, if you're here right now, and you would say to me, God is working in me to share the gospel with a friend, a family member. He's bringing somebody to my mind that needs Christ. And I know he wants me to share Christ with them. To see them come to know Jesus Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. If you will, lift your hand up for me. I'm going to see you. Okay, I see you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put it back down. I see you over here. Anybody else? Let me see it. I see you back there. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. Father, all across this sanctuary this morning, there are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ that are burdened for people around us to come to faith in Christ. Lord, right now, we, we, we come before you as well as we know how in this moment right here as a congregation. And I know it's the 21st century. I get that. But God, I really believe you're on your throne today. I believe you are sovereign Lord over all. I believe, Father, according to the scripture, that the Holy Spirit of God resides in our heart, every child of God in this room. And I'm asking you, Father, Lord God, Lord, that you would enable us, empower us, Holy Spirit of God, to speak your word with great boldness. God, present opportunities for us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our family, with our co-workers. And God, I pray for this coming a week, Wednesday night, that fall festival. God, that your Holy Spirit would just empower and enable us, every one of us that's going to be here working, God, enable us to share our faith and share the story of how you changed our life. And God, we pray for people to be saved. We're asking, Lord God, that you would send a harvest. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gavin, come on up here, if you will, this morning. Church, I want to provide us an opportunity. They're going to lead us in a song of response. And... Uh, 
quite honestly, I just, I just want you to take a moment as we sing this song that you would sing it unto the Lord, but maybe you just need to tarry longer in your prayer and just seeking the Lord. Maybe there's certain people in your heart that you need to pray for. Maybe you just need to simply ask God to enable you to speak boldly than about Jesus. Stand with me, church.